Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is My Lord and My God by Pastor Sean Wood. Okay, I'll pray and then we'll open God's Word. <clears throat> Father, I thank you this morning that uh, your Word says that all Scripture is God-breathed. I pray right now, Father, breathe in us. May this Word become alive in each and every one of us, we ask in your wonderful name. Amen and Amen. Okay, who here, I got the privilege of uh, doing it again yesterday, who here has seen the movie Forrest Gump? Everybody's seen the movie Forrest Gump, hey? Life is like a box of? Absolutely. And I love the the movie Forrest Gump for two reasons. Firstly, uh, I take a great encouragement that it's okay to take a simplistic view of life. Secondly, it's okay to eat chocolate, so I like Forrest Gump. But I was watching the movie yesterday and this guy, this character, Forrest Gump, leads a rather extraordinary life. We see that he... He, he goes to Vietnam, he wins the Medal of Honour, he meets the President twice, he's on the national ping pong team, uh, he's, he's a guy that runs for three over three years, just decides to run and keeps running. Why? Nobody knows. But we see that he's unfolding his story uh, to these people that are sitting next to him. Uh, one guy, he explains to him that he's the owner of Bubba Gump Shrimp and he owns all the shrimp fleets down in... Uh, Battery Bayou or whatever it is down the south. You would know, Mark. It was down near where you were there. And this guy goes, I was sitting on the bus seat next to a millionaire and walks away. And I came to the conclusion that all these people are sitting next to this awesomely interesting guy and none of them know who it is that's sitting next to them. And as I read John chapter 20 this week, I came to the conclusion that sometimes we sit in the presence of the most awesome God And we don't know the fullness of who he is. Jesus Jesus could be sitting next to us on the seat at the bus stop eating chocolates. We wouldn't know who he is. So we come to John chapter 20 and John takes a bit of time to really unpack the whole thing that's going on at the tomb and the, the empty tomb. And he does it because it takes a huge amount of importance. There is a time, remember, in the Gospels where the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, give us a sign. Give us something that will prove who you are. Give us a sign of who you are. And Jesus said that a wicked and perverse and adulterous generation asks for a sign. None will be given it except the sign of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah, I wonder? As Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. For three days. And to a wicked and perverse generation today, I would say if you want a sign, look at the empty tomb. I've said this before, but there was a debate between Lawrence Krauss, a recent antagonistic atheist, with Dr. William Lane Craig, and during the course of that debate, they came upon many things, but they came upon the resurrection. Lawrence Krauss was happy to argue every point, but when it came to the resurrection, he said, I'm not even going to go there. You can have that one. Why? Because there is no rebuttal they have for the fact of the empty tomb. History tells us that the tomb is empty and you have to do something with that. Changes who Jesus is for a start. We're going to have a look at some people who were 
captivated by this. Uh, I've said before that I've watched a miniseries, AD, Kingdom and Power, and this miniseries begins in the chapter that we are reading now. Jesus has just been crucified, and we see that it begins with uh, Peter and John hearing the news that the tomb is empty and the stone is rolled away, and they run to the tomb, just as this chapter says. John gets there first, just as this chapter says. Peter comes later and goes in first. John follows him. Mary waits outside. Peter comes running out of the tomb and runs away without saying a word. John comes out and Mary says, what did you find? What's in there, John? And he says, absolutely nothing. And then John turns to her and says, but absolutely everything. Friends, if that tomb is empty, it means absolutely everything. Everything Jesus said, he backed it up. C.S. Lewis would call himself a reluctant convert. He says, the evidence compels me that I must turn over my life to Christ. And he says, all of us must view the evidence and come to one of three conclusions. Either Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. Because he said the things that history tells us he said. He did the things that history tells us he did. He was crazy and he was radical. Who goes into the temple and turns the tables over? Who says things like he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood? Who says those kinds of things? The Son of God says those kinds of things. And I want to make this choice really easy for you this morning. I have never known a liar and I've never known a lunatic to rise from the dead. We use that word Lord as though it just flippantly rolls off our tongues. And I believe that Jesus is the Lord of every person sitting in this room. And if that's not you today, then that can be you. But I wonder if we understand the fullness of what that word means. John Piper brilliant wordsmith. He says, the best news of the Christian gospel is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to remove every obstacle between us and himself so that we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savouring his infinite beauty. Thank you, John Piper. Thank you, John Piper, for those wonderful words. John Piper would call himself a Christian hedonist, which is, I find all of my joy and pleasure in Christ. Amen. Let us read as we will work our way through the chapter, but we begin at verse 1 of chapter 20. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, and we need to just realise that John deliberately points out Mary Magdalene. We know two ladies went to the tomb on that morning, but he highlights Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is Mary of Magdala, the woman who had seven demons cast out of her. It's the same woman that anointed the feet of Christ. It's the same woman that had a very nasty reputation about the town. It's also the same woman that Jesus openly met with. Jesus was not ashamed to meet with anybody. What we see in Jesus and what we see with Mary Magdalene is that there is a great threat that the kingdom of heaven will be full of prostitutes and tax collectors while hell could quite possibly be full of religious people. Mary Magdalene is a great example of that. She came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. John is talking about himself. And he said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Really, Mary? This same Lord that said I will rise from the dead, they just didn't get it. 
And she thinks they've now taken away his body. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Verse 4, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw something remarkable. He saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. And the remarkable truth that lies behind the linen cloth is everybody says somebody went in there and pinched the body. Mary's now saying, somebody's come in and taken away the body of my Lord, but why would you go to such great lengths to unwrap the body and fold the face cloth? You wouldn't. You wouldn't sneak past a Roman guard. You wouldn't break a Roman seal, which had been put on the entrance of the tomb. You wouldn't sneak into the tomb and then go, oh, I've got plenty of time on my hands. I'll unwrap the body, leave the clothes here, fold the... No. We're starting to move away from human intervention here. I don't think man has laid their hands on this body at all. Verse 6, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. John believes. He now gives us the background here, he says, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures. They hadn't come to an understanding of what Jesus was talking about when he says, I must suffer and die and rise again. But now John gets it. This is a light bulb moment for John. You ever had Jesus turn the light bulb on? You ever had those moments where God just flicks the light on and you go, oh, of course. That's this moment for John. He says, I get it. Then the disciples went back to their homes But Mary stood weeping. Verse 11 says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she she wept. She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. And we see here that Mary is weeping because to her, uh, they have taken Jesus' body, they have discarded her body, but Mary has come to the tomb and we know that uh, she comes with the other lady as well and the gospel accounts tell us that they bring spices. Why are you bringing spices, Mary? Why are you coming to prepare a body when he said he would rise from the dead? They brought their spices and left their expectation at home. Oh, we need to be people that leave our, leave our spices at home. When we come here on a Sunday morning, when, when you wake up tomorrow morning, Jesus is alive. That's the greatest news in all of the universe, that Jesus is alive. You don't need your spices. Leave them. We need to have the what if factor. We need to be like, what if? What if everything he told us is true? What if just by chance he does rise from the dead? What if he is actually the son of God? Well, it makes all the difference then, doesn't it? Mary, why are you weeping? Let's keep reading as this unfolds. She now sees two angels, which completely removes any possibility of human intervention now. Verse 13, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord. Jesus is still her Lord. Whether he's in the tomb or not, he is still her Lord. 
and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus now speaks to Mary. Jesus speaks to Mary and says, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. And before we go casting anything towards Mary, how many of us have been in the same boat at some point in our life? How many of us come here on a Sunday and it's like we're sitting in the presence of God, but he's here, but there's like a distance. Mary's talking to the very son of God who's risen from the dead. She's got no idea. She thinks she's talking to the gardener. How many people have Jesus right before them? We need to open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. We need to be praying, open the eyes of our hearts. Let us see you. Let us have an awareness of you. It doesn't stay this way. There is a a defining thing that changes the course for Mary. Let's keep reading. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I... And I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and the moment Jesus speaks her name, the moment Jesus speaks to her, her eyes are opened and she says, immediately she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which is teacher. She immediately recognises who it is that is standing before her. I wonder if we knew the fullness of who it is that we meet in this place, whether it would change how we respond to him. Jesus goes on and says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers. (laughs) I love that word. Go to my brothers. They're not my servants, they're not my subjects, they're not my slaves. Go to my brothers. And say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. That's beautiful language. To my God and to your God. This is not Jesus standing aloof from everybody. This is Jesus inviting, come to my father and your father. Come to my God and your God. This is invitational. If God offered us no other place in his kingdom but to be subjects and slaves, he is still offering us a lot more than we ever deserved. But he says, you will eat at my table like sons. That's profound. That Jesus would go into the presence of God and refer to me as his brother. Scripture says that he's our high priest, that he intercedes before the throne of God for us. I don't deserve that. Thank you, Jesus. Mary says what should be the catch cry of us all. When you encounter Christ, it changes you. It changes your testimony. It changed John. From this point on, John sees and believes, and you need to understand, by the time John reaches this tomb, he might be 20 years of age. Very young when Jesus calls him. He might be 20 years of age. And this will propel his life to completely lay down for Christ. He is the only apostle, John, that is not martyred for Christ. He dies a natural death. They try to kill him. Nero puts him in a boiling vat of oil. And when it has no effect, he says, put him on Patmos. 
That's why we have the book of Revelation. Thank you, Nero. And then after another Caesar comes on board, they, they bring him off Patmos and he spends his remaining years till about the time he is 98 ministering in Ephesus. And the reports from history say that as they are carrying him, because he can't walk anymore, as they are carrying him to the temple, he's just muttering under his breath, love one another, love one another. I can imagine John doing that. I don't think history is too far of a stretch. But this revolutionises his life. The resurrection has with it an imperative. If Jesus has risen from the dead, there's a huge therefore that comes after that for every one of us. Mary says, I have seen the Lord. Changes Mary as well. I have seen the Lord. What a great testimony to have. I have seen the Lord. We too should announce, I have seen the Lord. Let us keep reading, starting at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. We need peace, don't we? Amen? We'll take it, Jesus. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I love this. Jesus Jesus is revealing himself to them. He is showing them the reality here. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? How is it in the same way that he has sent us? As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The resurrection comes with an imperative. God gave Jesus a mission while he was here. And he gave him the power to accomplish that mission. John would testify, I saw the Spirit descend like a dove. Jesus came to proclaim the good news. We are here for a reason, and that reason is wrapped up in the Great Commission. That reason that we are here now is wrapped up in making disciples of all nations. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus shows and reveals himself, the reality of himself, but everything to do with Jesus is missional. Have a look at the apostles. It was, it was missional. The Holy Spirit deposited a, a large amount into the apostles, but it was missional. It was, it was how do we get this out to the people? How do we get this message out to the people? You know, Paul would testify that I may know him and the power that raised him from the dead. What a great statement. To know Christ and the power that raised him from the dead. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you're in your sins. The resurrection, friends, is everything. And it brings with it an imperative. I said this morning over communion that whenever we want to understand a word, we must go back to the first place that it was used. And we're going to do that again now with a word that we see here because we don't see it all that often. Uh, In fact, this particular word is only used here in the New Testament. Let us keep reading. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed. He breathed on them. That's not an accidental use of that word either. He breathed on them. How many here this morning could testify that we need Jesus to breathe on us? And how many here are maybe sitting here going, what does that actually mean? What's going on here? The first time we see the breath or 
God breathing used in this manner is in Genesis chapter 3. God forms man from the dust and he breathed life into him. Jesus is breathing life. How many of us here need that? How many of us are sitting here this morning knowing full well inside of us that there are areas perhaps that have grown dead and dormant? There are, there are certain parts of us and our faith that we have neglected and there's no blood supply there and we need Jesus to breathe life back into us. How many people are sitting here this morning going, Jesus, breathe on me. Jesus, I need you to breathe on me. I'm just preaching to myself right now. When I wake up tomorrow morning, Jesus, I'm going to need you to breathe on me because I, I need your kind of life. He breathed on them. Where else do we see this? We see it in Ezekiel chapter 37. Everybody knows the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel prophesies to the wind to breathe upon the bones and then flesh and so forth comes upon. Anybody feel like one of those dry bones in that valley? Anybody feel like we could do the breath of God? You know what the difference was for the valley of dry bones? You know what the huge overarching difference was when the word of God was spoken? What did God say to Ezekiel? Speak to the bones. Mm, Very interesting. Thank you, Father. He breathed God's breath his life. He breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And first and foremost, uh, this is, anybody here ever watched Mission Impossible? I've watched a couple of Mission Impossible. This is the easiest way to probably describe this. And this is Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise. And you know, you know how it goes. The catch cry is, your mission should you choose to accept it. And this is like Jesus coming to the disciples saying, well, your mission should you choose to accept it. And who wouldn't have interrupted and said, hang on a second, doesn't that mission say, doesn't it look like the cross? And Jesus would have said, yeah, there's no fine print here. Each and every one of you are going to have to take your own path to the cross. Each and every one of you are going to have to lay down your lives. There's no fine print in this, but Jesus not only gives them the mission, but he gives them the power to complete it. And I know people are probably sitting here this morning going, hang on a second, then what was Pentecost all about? Is this Pentecost? No, this is a visitation of the Holy Spirit. Most commentators agree. Why? Well, first of all, not all the disciples are here. Thomas isn't here yet. And secondly, there's no radical change in the disciples until after Pentecost. A transformational change happens in the lives of of the apostles. Receive the Holy Spirit. He is life. I want to finish this this morning with one of my favourite characters in the... (laughs) In the, particularly in this gospel, because a lot of uh, this guy's copped a lot of rubbish from behind the pulpits over the years, and that's Thomas. We all have heard about doubting Thomas, and we all hear about how could he possibly doubt? Well, he could probably just grab a ticket at the end of the line behind everyone else. Everyone else. But Thomas, uh, I love 
two things here. One that Thomas says, you can hear in the way that Thomas speaks that he's saying, you know, I know there's a line here and if everything you're telling me is true, then I cross that line, I can't go back. And the second thing I love about this is Jesus meets Thomas right where he is. Let's have a look as we bring this to a close. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he would not accept the evidence. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe, unless I see. Many demand to see for themselves. Many weigh up the evidence But many of us demand to see for ourselves, just like Thomas does here. And you need to understand that this is this may be the beginning of Thomas's story, but it's not the end. In fact, the the end of Thomas's story is rather heroic. He takes the gospel to India and he is horribly martyred for Christ when he is told to stop preaching the gospel. And he says, I will not. This is not the end of the story for Thomas. Thomas knows that he is crossing a line. And he says that I will never believe, but Billy Graham says there is more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. There is more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. There is more physical evidence, conclusive physical evidence, that Jesus rose from the dead than that Julius Caesar ever lived or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. The big difference is nobody denies the last two. Nobody will argue the last two with you. If you go outside these doors and say, hey, Julius Caesar lived, they go, yeah, who cares? Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. Who cares? Jesus rose from the dead. Get away from me, you freak. Do we not hear these words? Thomas says... I will never believe unless I place my finger in his hands. Can you hear the list here? Can you hear the list? I wonder if we have a list. Unless you do this, Jesus, I will never believe. Unless I see this. Unless this happens. I want to ask you this morning, what would Jesus have to do for you to cross that line? What would Jesus have to do to see you across this line where this is all of your life? Thomas says, I will never believe. I love what Jesus does now. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, you put your finger here. Oh, hang on a second. Don't you have some harsh words? You'd like, no. Don't you want to rebuke Thomas? No. Oh. What does Jesus say to Thomas? Thomas, you you can put your finger here. You put your finger into my hands. And you put your hand and place it in my side. The prophecies of Christ speak about the fact that a bruised reed he will not break. And a smouldering flax he will not snuff out. Jesus does not come to extinguish faith and cast people aside. He comes to breathe upon the coals of the fires that are in our hearts. 
He doesn't want to come and snuff them out. He doesn't want to cast people aside. He doesn't give you one chance and that's it. How many know that we blew that in the first 30 seconds? Jesus keeps coming and keeps blowing upon the coals of our hearts and keeps blowing upon the coals of our hearts and keeps urging us closer and closer to that line. Do not disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. Accept the evidence and allow it to take you to the risen Christ. We have to, we have to make a decision. I, I remember uh, listening at one of the conferences I went to a while ago. I remember listening to a guy that was struggling in ministry at the time. And he says, you know what, myself and my wife, we went away to America just to hear from God, whether we continue in the ministry or whether we don't. But I loved what the conclusion was. He they were some distance apart and he says, I couldn't run quick enough to my wife to tell her that I'd heard from God. And God said, you know what? If you, if you stay in the ministry, I'll bless you. If you leave the ministry, I'll bless you. But God said to him, just choose. You need to make a choice. And I think we all need to just choose and make a decision. We've got the evidence before us. We have the reality of Christ at our disposal. We just need to make a choice. Do not, do not disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. I love how this ends. Timothy Keller says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Because if he rose from the dead and you don't like his teaching, tough. And if you do like his teaching and he didn't rise from the dead, what's it worth? Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, this is a personal, individual confession of what happens when Jesus reveals himself to somebody. This is the confession of somebody that has encountered the living Christ. He says, my Lord and my God. I want to ask you this morning if you allow Jesus to lead you to this point. Will you continue to allow Jesus to press you towards that line where we say, my Lord and my God. The, the greatest thing we see in this gospel, and we are seeing it highlighted in this chapter, is this is the gospel where we see Jesus dealing intimately with individuals. Remember Nathaniel under the fig tree? Remember Nicodemus? Remember the lady at the well? Remember the guy born blind? Remember Peter? We'll get to him next week. Everyone thinks Peter's blown it. Well, we'll get to that next week. Remember John, Doubting Thomas, Mary Magdalene? Hmm. He's the God that meets us individually right where we are. Next week, we move to the last chapter, which is the discourse between Jesus and Peter. Watchman Nee says that our old history ends with the cross and our new history begins with the resurrection. That's the, that's the testimony of Thomas here. Thomas's old history of doubting, Thomas's old history of his sins and his past, that all ends with the cross and the new history for Thomas begins when he meets the resurrected Christ. Takes the gospel, as I said, to India. 
the last verses in this book say, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. What John is saying is, I've written all this stuff so that you may arrive at the same point that Thomas did. The whole time we've been working our way through the Gospel of John, we've been climbing a mountain. And congratulations, friends, we've just reached the point of that mountain. We've just reached the pinnacle. The main point is Jesus. You can go to any country you like. You can walk into any different church you like. But there is one common factor, one common denominator, Jesus If we agree on that one, we are amongst friends. Jesus is the dividing point for Islam. Islam accepts all of our Old Testament, but when we get to Jesus, we disagree. Many disagree when we arrive at Jesus. This this gospel has exposed the evidence and the signs for Christ, and now as we come to the top of this mountain, everybody has to come to a verdict for themselves. Everybody has to arrive, has to weigh all the evidence that we have in this gospel, and has to arrive at a verdict. And John wants to bring everybody to that point now. It's where Thomas got to. It's where Mary Magdalene is. It's what will lead Peter to be crucified upside down. Eventually, we'll lead Paul to be beheaded under Nero. We'll see John cast onto the Isle of Patmos. I'm going to close in prayer now, and I'm going to ask the worship team if they can come back and play one of the songs. And This morning, if this is you, this morning, if you've reached that line and you need prayer, and we'd love to pray with you. Or you might just be sitting here this morning going, you know what? I just need Jesus to breathe on me for a moment. I I just want to ask him to breathe in my life today. Then we want to pray with you this morning as we close. So can we stand as I pray? And if you need prayer this morning, then please make your way to the front. Father, I want to thank you this morning that you bring everybody to this line. Jesus, I want to make a personal confession in front of everybody here. You're my Lord and you're my God. And I pray that that would be the fullness of my life and the fullness of all of our lives. I pray that as we sing this song, I pray that as we wake tomorrow, I pray that as we join in our life groups during this week, Father, that you would breathe in us every day. Oh, we need your breath in us. I pray that you would take this word and breathe upon the coals of our hearts this morning, I pray. In the wonderful and glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.